today we're going to wrap up our series entitled The Million Dollar Question. And let's kind of just jump into our scripture this morning. And we've been looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. And the Bible says this. It says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Look at that first point. We talked about this over the last few weeks. We said that the quality of our lives is literally determined by the quality of the decisions that we make. The quality of our lives are determined by the quality of the decisions that we make. God sets before us every single day of our life in front of every single person, life or death, blessings or curses, and then God says, choose, right? God gives us an opportunity to choose life or choose death, and that choice is 100% totally up to you, right? You get to choose. And the decisions that you make will determine the quality of life that you live. And not only your life, but it will also determine the quality of the life of your children and your grandchildren, right? How many of you understand your decisions not only affect you, they affect the people that are coming after you? And you might be here today, you might say, well, Pastor Keith, I'm a young person, or I'm a single person, I don't have any kids. Well, if you ever have kids, I just want to tell you right now that the decisions you're making today as a single person will affect your children that are to be born, right? There is a supernatural impact. There is a spiritual law of repercussion that goes sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping that is implied into every single person's life. And the decisions you make today are going to affect not only your life, but the people that are coming after you. Amen? And we said that there's a problem, right? If we look at that next point, we said there is a problem. And the problem is, is that most of us are really making the wrong decisions, right? The problem is that we're making the wrong decisions because we're asking the wrong question. And I just, we, we looked at a little quote from Albert Einstein, and he said, if I had one hour to solve a problem and my life depended on it, I'd take the first 55 minutes and determine what would be the right question to ask. And if I could ask the right question, then I could solve the problem. That would not be a problem. I could solve the problem if I knew how to ask the right question. And so we recognize that we have really made poor decisions because we've been asking the wrong questions, right? What's going to make me happy, right? What's the easiest thing to do? What's the most convenient thing to do. What do I want to do? Right? How many of you know that many times what you want to do and what you need to do are totally the opposite? And many times when you make a decision based on what you want, how many times have you made a decision based on what you wanted and when you got what you wanted, you didn't want it anymore? Right? Because those are the wrong questions, right? Those are the wrong questions. Let's look at these statistics. We've looked at them every week. Uh, this is just some little statistical proof that as Americans, we're really making poor decisions. And again, I believe it's because we're asking the wrong question, right? Every 13 seconds, somebody gets divorced. 11 million kids living in single-family homes. Uh, most Americans have over $16,000 in a credit card debt. Uh, most Americans don't have any, really, any form of savings. And we talked about that over the last couple weeks. Uh, 20 million Americans are uh, stuck in some form of life-altering, life-changing addiction. A hundred people a day, that is someone every 15 minutes. As we have been worshiping the Lord here this morning since 9.30, three people have died of a drug overdose since the first chord of the worship song. Because we, uh, we're making bad decisions, guys. We're making really poor decisions. Decisions, And again, I believe we're making poor decisions because we're asking the wrong question. What do I want? What makes me happy? What feels good? 
Those are all the wrong questions. Because if you answer those questions, you're going to get the wrong answer. And if you make a decision based on the answer to the wrong question, then you're going to end up suffering the repercussions of choices that are going to end up impacting not only you, but your children and your grandchildren. And you're going to live to regret, unfortunately, the choices that you've made. I want to tell you some great good news today. There is power and potential through Jesus Christ that from this moment on you can eliminate regret. I meet so many people that, that live in regret. They regret, oh, I wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd never done that. wish I'd have never done that. I wish I'd never said that. I wish I'd never went here. I want to tell you something. Praise God there is forgiveness and grace. Amen. And if you and I will embrace, right, if we will embrace what I believe is what we're just simply calling the million-dollar question, right? What is the million-dollar question? Here it is. What is the wise thing to do? Right? Based upon what I know to be true and based upon what God says, which is truth, what is the wise thing to do? Based upon what I know to be true, not what I think or not what I feel. Because what you think and what you feel is probably wrong. But what, based upon what you know to be true, right? If you'll, just, if you'll just disconnect your emotions for a minute and you'll honestly step back and evaluate life and the choices and decisions that you're making, most of us, 95% of the time when we make a wrong decision, we know it's wrong. Right? We know it's wrong. We know that's the wrong thing to do. We know that's not what we need to do. We know that's not the decision we need to make. So why do we make the wrong decision even when we know it's wrong? Because we ask the wrong question. Right? We ask the question, what's going to make me happy? We ask the question, well, what's the most convenient thing to do? What's the easiest thing to do? What's going to cause the less conflict or the less trouble or the less ripple effect on my job or in my family? And all of a sudden we start making decisions because we're asking the wrong questions, and in our heart of hearts, we know when we're doing it, it is the wrong thing to do. So if we can ever just step back by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Lord, what do we know to be true? And then, God, what does your word say, which is truth, right? God's word is truth. We said information and revelation. Those two things help us make wise decisions. You've got to have the right information, and you've got to have the revelation of God's word. And when you bring those things together, you can make wise decisions, right? Proverbs, our scripture, uh, says this in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, sensible people, right, keep their eyes glued on wisdom, right? We have got to keep our eyes glued. I want to change that word sensible to common sense people, right? When you use good common sense, right? Common sense says, I've got to keep my eyes glued on wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? Right? Because the fool, look what it says, his eyes wander to the ends of the earth. If you focus your attention on anything other than the wise thing to do, you're going to make the wrong decision because you're going to ask the wrong question. Right? If you start focusing on a relationship, you're going to start asking the question, what do I got to do to have that relationship? If you start focusing on a possession or power or position, right, and you start saying, man, I want that new car, I want that new house, or I want that new dress, or I want that new boat, you're going to focus on that, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to start asking the wrong questions. What do I got to do to get that is what you're going to ask. What do I got to do to get that? What do I got to do? And all of a sudden you're going to say, well, I can go borrow money and get that. Right? What do I got to do to get that? What do I got to do to get in that relationship? Well, I can, just, I can just tell a little lie to my spouse, and I can hang out late over here, and I can meet her, or I can hang out with him, or I can just Facebook him a little bit and see if anybody's biting out there. See, if you focus your attention on the wrong thing, you're going to ask the wrong question. When you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer, and you're going to make the wrong decision. And all the while, you're going to know in your heart, this is wrong. But we do it over, and 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 we do it over again. Why? A sensible man keeps his eyes glued. 
glued on wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? And if I begin to live by that, you know what happens? I begin to eliminate regret. I begin to eliminate the regret of making all the wrong decisions over and over again. Because when I start asking the right question, I start getting the right answer, and I start making the right decisions, and I start enjoying the fruits of my labors instead of the repercussions of my sin. And all of a sudden, my heart gets freed of regret because I begin to make choices and decisions that honor God. What is the wise thing to do? So let's look at this last part of our series today. So what is the wise thing to do based on unhealthy habits? What is the wise thing to do about unhealthy habits? Because that's what an addiction is. An addiction is an unhealthy habit. You don't have to be addicted to drugs and alcohol to have an unhealthy habit, right? We can have unhealthy habits around food. We can have unhealthy habits around exercise. We can have unhealthy habits around relationships. We can have unhealthy habits with Facebook. Somebody say, amen. Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, right? We can have Snapchat, all kind of wonderful stuff out there, right? We can have unhealthy relationships, unhealthy habits in so many different arenas of our life. We can have, here's, a, here's an unhealthy habit. Most people have an unhealthy habit of thinking wrong. We have unhealthy thinking. The habit, our, our habit, or our process of thinking is distorted, right? We have an unhealthy habit of thinking. We have an unhealthy way of looking at life. And these habits control us, and these habits consume us, and these habits ultimately, if we allow them to go long enough, they ultimately destroy us. And we've all seen it, right? We've all seen the unhealthy habits of every avenue and venue of life affect us, and every person in this room is impacted by it, and none of us are exempt from the reality that every day we have to be on guard against the unhealthy habits of this world that want to creep in and undermine the purpose and plan of God for our lives. So I'm going to give you just four truths today. So based on what we know to be true and based on what God says, what is the wise thing to do? Let's look at this first one. Here's, here's something we know. We don't always articulate this, but we know this to be true, right? We know that there is no natural remedy for emotional pain. When you think about unhealthy habits, why do we have unhealthy habits? We have unhealthy habits because typically, usually, there is something broken on the inside. Right? We're trying to mask our pain. We're trying to conceal our pain. We're trying to cover up our pain. We're trying to nurse our pain. The Lord said this to me this morning in prayer. He said, Keith, he said, most people are restless. There's a restlessness on the inside. We don't have peace. We don't have contentment. We don't have satisfaction. And there's this restlessness, and that restlessness drives us, right? And usually a restless heart comes out of a wounded soul. And because there are things in our hearts that are unresolved or there are wounds in our hearts that are unhealed, we have this restlessness that wants to compel us and drive us, right? I mean, if you think about our unhealthy habits, they actually, if you continue them along, they begin to drive you. You start out driving them, and it's not long before you swap seats, right? You got your habit in the passenger seat, and you're driving along. And if you stay driving that habit long enough, you're going to swap seats, your unhealthy habit's going to say, hey, let me drive. And doesn't it? Doesn't it start to drive your thoughts, drive your emotions, drive your actions, drive, drive your life, and all of a sudden, you're being driven. 
right? Your life is being dictated and steered. There's somebody at the steering wheel of your heart, and you're now being driven by unhealthy habit that is controlling and ultimately destroying who you are and who God has called you to be. Now, we know, right? We know there is no natural remedy for that emotional pain. We know that. How do we know it? Because we've tried it. We've tried everything, right? We tried the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the pornography, the power, the possessions, the positions, right? We've tried it. We said, man, if I could just get one more hit, I'd feel good. And you get one more hit and one more hit, it's not enough. Right? One more party and one more party is not enough. One more sexual, sexual relationship and it's not enough. If I could just make a little more money, you make more money and it's not enough. If I could just get that car, I'd be happy. You get that car and you're not happy. We know, right? We know. If we're just really honest with ourselves, we know there is no natural remedy for the emotional, spiritual, inner pain in our hearts that drives us to live an unhealthy life. We know that. And the reason we know it is because we've tried it, and it never works, right? It never works, and we just have to keep doing more, and we 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 have to keep doing more. More of whatever it is the thing we're doing to try to heal the hurt, numb the pain that's burning within us, and it never works. And if we're all honest here today, everybody in this room can 100% agree with me and say, Pastor Keith, that is 100% true. It does not work. So what does God say? Look at a couple of scriptures. God says this in Jeremiah 2. He says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. God says, the children of Israel in Jeremiah, he was rebuking them. He said, they've committed two evils, two sins. The first evil is they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. They have turned their backs on the only one that can satisfy them, on the only one that can complete them, on the only one that can bring contentment and satisfaction to their heart. They have abandoned the living water. And then he said, the other evil they've committed is that not only have they abandoned the living water, now they've dug their own wells that can't hold water. And they've tried to replace me. I want you to understand, every unhealthy habit you have is an idol in your life. Every unhealthy habit you have is an idol. It is something that you have placed above God to do in your heart what only God can do. Heal me. Restore me. Make me feel good. Make me feel good about myself. Make me feel good about others. Make me feel good, right? Just satisfy me. I'm so empty. I'm so restless. I'm so broken. And we turn to all these things. And every unhealthy habit is an idol in your life that has taken the throne of your heart, and you have dethroned God. For broken cisterns, we've dug wells that don't hold water, right? It doesn't hold water, right? The money doesn't hold water. You never make enough money. The sex doesn't hold water. You can never have enough sex. The pornography doesn't hold water. You can never look at enough of it. The drugs doesn't hold water. You can never get enough of it. It always seeps away. It always evaporates. And guess what? Every time it slaps, every time it seeps away, it leaves you more empty than you were before. And so God says, hey, guys, what you know to be true is true. The world has no remedy for your heart. The world has no remedy for the brokenness of your soul. The world can't fix you. I am the fountain of living water. Now look at what Jesus said. I love these words of Jesus. Then Jesus said, Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. 
What do we need for our restlessness? We need the rest of God. We need to enter into a place of rest, a place of contentment, a place where we're not always striving. Now, that doesn't mean we grow complacent. I'm telling you, I am, I am, I am committed to doing what God has called me to do more today than I've ever been in my entire life. And I am driven by Holy Ghost passion. But if you're being driven by anything other than the Holy Spirit, then you're being manipulated by the enemy, and there is an idol in your heart that has taken the place of Almighty God, and it will shipwreck your soul every single time. Jesus said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Look what he says, take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you. Let me just pause for a second. Let me tell you why coming to church is so important. Let me tell you why coming to church is so coming to church is so important because not only do we need to study the word, not only do we need personal time in the word, but we all need to be taught the word of God. We need the teaching of the word of God. We need to be taught the word of God. Why? Because there is greater revelation to God's word than what you'll ever get on your own. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to say there's going to be very few people in this church that listen to more preaching and teaching than I do. I am consistently digesting the teaching and preaching. I listen to podcasts all the time. Yesterday in the airport, on my travels home, I listened to seven podcasts. That's a normal day. Every day I'm listening to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. Why? Because I need to be taught. I got to study. Nothing, nothing is a substitute for my personal time with God. But I also need to be taught the Word of God. Why? Because there is revelation that God gives to other people from His Word that I need that can help me. And guess what happens? The teaching of the Word. You know what it does? I'd never seen this before. The teaching of the Word brings you into the rest of God. Have you ever heard something through a sermon that brought rest to your soul? You were able to lay something down you hadn't been able to lay down before. You were able to overcome something you'd never been able to overcome before. You were able to walk away from some things you had never been able to walk away from before. And what did you do? When you heard the Word of God accurately taught from Scripture, you know what happened? It brought you into the rest of God. You know why our discipleship classes are so important? You know why ICM is so important? You know why small groups are so important? Because we need the teaching of the Word. Jesus said, come to me, my yoke is easy, and let me teach you. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, He taught the Word. He taught the Word. Why? Because He knew people needed to enter into rest. We need the rest of God. Look at the rest of the Scripture. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The burden I give you. Jesus invites us into an easy yoke with a light burden. 1 John says this. It says, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. God's Word is not a burden. Christianity is not a burden we bear. It is a joy that we get to share. It's not a burden. When you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't lay the load of religion and rules on you. When you come to Jesus, Jesus unloads you. <laughs> 
He unloads the weight, the yoke, the bondage, the burden, the fear, the pride, the jealousy, the insecurity. He unloads all those things off your life. And he says, hey, just come and learn of me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you'll just walk with me, you'll find out that the satisfaction and contentment that you've been looking for in all the wrong places is found in one place, and that's in Jesus. The second thing I want us to see about unhealthy habits this morning, I want you to see the second thing we know. We know that something has to change or nothing is going to change. (laughs) Right? The definition of insanity, right? If we do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, we're insane. We done lost our minds. Most Christians are insane. I meet people all the time. By that definition, they're insane. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting something different to happen. How many know if you keep sowing the same seeds, you always get the same harvest? Right? If you're tired of green beans, you got to sow something different. Right? If you want to change what you're eating, if you want to change what you're living, if you want to change what you're experiencing, you got to change what you're sowing. We know that, right? We know something has to change or nothing's going to change. As a matter of fact, when people actually start coming to church, you know why people really come to church for the first time? Yeah, there's a curiosity and people invite them, but people really come to church for the first time because there's something in their heart that says something has to change. And we know that. You don't have to be saved to know that. Everybody knows that. Something has to change because if something doesn't change, then nothing is going to change. Now look what Jesus said. I love this scripture, Luke 13. Jesus said, I tell you again that unless you repent, the word repent literally means to change the way you think. Unless you change the way you think, Jesus said, you will perish. Unless you change the way you think, unless you change how you live your life, unless you change your attitude and your actions, you will perish. You'll die in that unhealthy habit. That addiction will destroy your life. That uh, that ungodly path that you're on will take you down a road of destruction, and you'll finally come to a place of destruction. You will perish. And we see it all the time, right? Somebody else has just died since I've been preaching. Four people since we've been in church this morning have overdosed on drugs and died while we're in church. Because if something doesn't change, nothing's going to change. And the same is true of your health, and the same is true of your thinking, and the same is true of your attitude, and the same is true of your family, and the same is true of your relationships, and the same is true of your finances. If something doesn't change, nothing's going to change. And Jesus said we got to repent we got to repent. The word repent literally means to change the way you think. But I love if you break the word down in the English, it comes from two words. It comes from the word re, or return, which means to return, and pent. The word pent means high place. That's why we call it the penthouse. The penthouse is on the top. So the word repent literally means to return to the high place. See, when you repent, you know what you do? You return to the high place that God has called you to live. You return to the high place that God has called you to live. And think about this for a minute. The Lord just quickened this in my heart this morning. He said, Keith, he said, we got so many people living in the slums when I got a penthouse for them. Man, you're slumming it, and God says, I got a penthouse with your name on it. Get out of the slums and get into the penthouse of God's glory. Stop wallowing in the mud with the pigs and come to a high place and let God raise you up into what he has for your life. 
Man, that is so good, guys. And we know it's true, right? We know something has to change or nothing's going to. Look at our next truth. I want you to see this. Third thing we know is that we know that we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. How do we know that? Because you've tried and failed and 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 tried and failed. How many times have you told yourself, I'm never going to do that again? How many times? About a million? I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going down that path anymore. I'm not hanging out with them anymore. How many times? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again we do it. Because here's the reality. We know this, right? We can't do it alone. We need help. We need help. We need other people in our lives. We were created for community. We need the body of Christ. You want to know why coming to church is important? Not just because you need the teaching and preaching of the Word, but because you need to connect with like-minded believers that are pursuing the high place of Jesus Christ. Right? You need to be connected to people that are pursuing Jesus, that are pursuing the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You need to be connected to people like that because you can't do it alone. And what happens, think about this, when you get into sin, when you get into bondage, when you get bound by the unhealthy habits of your life, you know what you automatically do? You automatically do this. You automatically begin to disconnect from people. People never get depressed in crowds. You find depressed people living all alone in the back corner of the house with the door locked and the phone turned off. Because that is the trap of the enemy. That's the same thing that happens over and over again, right? Over and over again. Not just with depression, with, with all kinds of unhealthy habits. We just disconnect. The deeper I get in my sin, the more I disconnect. And the more I disconnect, the more I disconnect. Why? Because that is the trap of the enemy. That is the snare of the enemy. He knows if he can disconnect you from the body of Christ, disconnect you from the life-giving fountain of Jesus Christ, then he can suck you down a hole of destruction, and you will destroy yourself. And it happens over and over and over and over again. What's God say? God says two people are better. Y'all say better. Two people are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. They can help each other. I'm just going to tell you, I need help. <laughs> I need help. I can't do what God's called me to do alone. I can't live this Christian life alone. I can't walk in victory alone. I need you. You need me. We need each other. I need real people in my lives. I need real relationships. I need men that I can pour my heart out to. I need men that are going to hold me accountable. I need men that are going to look me in the eye and say, how are you really doing? Yeah. I need that. You need that. You can't do it alone. Two are better because they'll help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Let me tell you something. If you're alone and you fall, you're in real trouble. You're in real trouble. Pastor Keith, are you being negative? No, I am positive. You're in real trouble. You're in real trouble. When you fall and you're alone, you're in real trouble. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Rick and Dusty have swept in and literally saved people's lives. I can't tell you how many times. 
they disconnected, they begin to drown in their own sin. And all of a sudden, that's a week and two weeks and three weeks, and nobody's heard from them, nobody's seen them, nobody knows where they're at. And I've seen Pastor Rick like a, like a bloodhound. <laughs> Go chasing them down. And I'm just telling you, without a shadow of a doubt, there are people that are literally physically breathing today that would not be physically breathing today. Because when they fell, they were all alone. And they were in trouble. And if you're alone, you're in trouble. And what's crazy is we can come to church with a big old church full of people like this, and we can still be all alone. That's why you got to get on a small group. That's why you got to get on a ministry team. That's why you got to get involved. That's why you got to invite people into your life. You cannot live a Lone Ranger Christian life and expect to live this thing victoriously. It won't happen. Look at the rest of the scripture. But someone who falls, who's alone, is in real trouble. But a person, stand, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, y'all say three are better, look what it says, are better. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken, right? We need people in our lives, godly people, because we know I can't do it alone. I can't do it by myself. I'll never break free unless I invite somebody in, amen? Let's look at the fourth thing. I want you to see this. Now, this is, this is worth the price of admission today, okay? And this is something we know to be true, even though we don't articulate it and we don't say this very often, but this is true, and we know it, right? Here's the truth. We know that we can't trust ourselves because we will deceive ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. Now, we know that to be true. How do we know that to be true? Because think about it for just a minute. How many times? Think about your thoughts. How many times have you had one thought, and then one thought you said, I'm never going to do that again? And literally, literally, the next thought, you think, how can I do it? <laughs> right? One thought, I'm never doing that again. The next thought, I'm not talking about a week later. I'm not talking about a month later. I'm talking about number one thought, I'm never doing it again. The next thought, how can I do that? We can't trust ourselves, and we know it. We know we can't trust ourselves because we will deceive ourselves and we will lie to ourselves. Let me tell you this. The person that lies to you more than anybody else is yourself. You lie to yourself every day. Oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do better. I'm never going to do that again. But nothing changes. Nothing changes, but you're saying all the right stuff, but you're deceiving yourself. Because when we say that, right, when you say those, say that you're going to change, but you really have no intention or plan to change, you are deceiving yourself. And it makes us feel good because we said we were going to change. And then we tell our spouses, well, if you'll just be patient with me, I'm going to change. I'm going to do better. Just hold on. How long are they supposed to hold on with you wrecking their life? How much hell are you supposed to drag them through? Come on. How much hell are they supposed to endure because you are not willing to embrace the truth about your own heart? We deceive ourselves, and we can't trust ourselves, and we know that. We know we can't trust ourselves. 
How many times have we started down the road and got a month down the road? How crazy is this, right? I see it all the time. You do good for a month, and then you, then you make this wonderful statement, I got this. I don't need that church thing. I don't need CR. I don't need no small groups. I ain't got to read the Bible every day. I mean, one drink will be okay. One month, one month, and I got it. I just want to laugh. I laugh at myself. I'm dishonest with you. I look at me sometimes, I think, Keith, you are deceiving yourself. You are a fool. <laughs> you ain't got nothing, brother. Without Jesus, you ain't got nothing. Without the body of Christ, you ain't got nothing. If you're standing alone, you ain't got nothing. Look what the Word of God says. I love these scriptures right here. Look at this scripture. The Bible says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I love that scripture. And, and that, that just, you know, I, I, I love those, I love those follow your heart movies. You ever watch them, you know, you know, that's just, just the whole theme of the movies, just follow your heart, follow your heart. Hollywood says follow your heart. God says if you follow your heart, you're a fool. You're a fool. Right? How many marriages have ended because somebody had an affair because they followed their heart? How many kids are growing up without a mom or a dad because somebody followed their heart? Right? Followed their heart. Well, I just had to buy that. My, my heart was all set on it. I just had my heart in. I just had to get that. How much destruction have we heaped upon ourselves? And don't go blaming the devil. I'm so sick and tired of the devil. He did this and the devil did that. Well, the devil's just, you hadn't done nothing for God in 20 years and you think the devil's wasting one breath on you? I'm, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the smartest guy in the house, but I'm just telling you, if I'm looking at who am I going to attack, the guy that ain't done nothing for Jesus for 20 years or the guy that's charging hell for the last 30 years, I'm going after him. And I say, all these guys ain't done nothing for God, and the devil's all over me. Give me a break. You are deceived. You are deceived. You're not all that. You're nothing without God, and so am I. We are nothing without God. And just swallow your little spiritual pride. I'm all that. I got this big old anointing on me, so the devil's after me. You're nothing. Get over it. Swallow that pride. Stop deceiving yourself and say, God, I'm nothing without you, and I'm nothing without your church, and I need you, and I need people, and I got to be connected, and I got to be in right relationship, and I got to be submitted, and I got to be the man you called me to be, and there's no excuse for my stupidity. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Now look at the next part. Look what it says. I'll go back to that verse. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Sounds like the million-dollar question, doesn't it? What's the wise thing to do? How do I get delivered? I don't get delivered by following my heart. My heart leads me into bondage. How do I get delivered? I get delivered by, by doing what is wise. What is the wise thing to do? 
I get delivered by doing the wise thing. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Based on what I know to be true and based on what God says, which is truth, what is the wise thing to do? Praise God, guys. There is redemption here today. There is forgiveness here today. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. We are so prideful and we are so deceived and we are so arrogant in ourselves. And it is our pride and our arrogance that is keeping us from embracing the wisdom of God. Well, I don't want to do that. Pastor Rick says I don't need to be doing that. And I've been doing that for a long time. I don't want to keep doing that. Oh, come on, Pastor Rick's free. You're not. Come on. Letting the man that ain't free tell the man that is free how to be free. Sounds like a fool to me. But we can be wise, right? We can be wise. I don't say that to condemn us, guys. I say that to give us the revelation that we have deceived ourselves. We are deceived, and we got to come to grips with that. I told you this is worth the price of admission. If I can come to it, and you can come to it, and we can come to the realization that we can't trust ourselves, I need somebody else helping me out, because I will tell myself what I want to hear when I want to hear it, and how I want to hear it, and I'll give my, myself permission to compromise every single time. How many times have you give yourself an easy way out, knowing that that way was the wrong way? How many times have we done? I've done it more times than I can count. Give myself permission to be lazy. Give myself permission not to press through and do the hard thing because it might create conflict or difficulty. Look at this last screen. I want you to see this. Four things we got to do. In light of what we know to be true, in light of what God says, here's four simple things. What is the wise thing to do? The wise thing to do is, number one, we need to turn our lives over to the care of God. That starts with salvation, but it literally means every single day I've got to entrust my life to God. I need to turn my life over to the care of God. I need to trust that His way is the right way, that His will is the right will, that His plan is the right plan. And when God leads me by His Word, by wisdom to do something, it is the right thing to do no matter what I feel, no matter what I think, no matter what other people say, God's way is the right way. And I've got to turn my life over to the care of God and trust Him. See, that's the reality. We don't trust God. We don't trust His ways. But we got to trust Him. Why? Because there's no natural remedy for my heart. Only Jesus can satisfy my soul. The second thing that has to happen is I have to implement a process of change. And I want to challenge you to do something. What does that mean? It means you need to write down, and I want to say write it down. You need to write down a process of what are you going to do different? Right, because you're already right now, everybody's thinking of areas in our life, I need to change. Here's an unhealthy habit, here's an unhealthy habit, here's this, here's that. I need to change. What are you going to do to change it? You need to write it down. You need a process of change. And it is so critical that you write it down. This is what I'm going to do. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because you can't do number three if you don't do number two. You can't do number three if you don't do number two. Because number three says, what is the wise thing to do? The wise thing says, I can't do this on my own, right? I need help. So I'm going to have to invite other people into my struggle. And I'm going to have to give them permission to hold me accountable. But guess what? If I don't have a process of change, if I don't have something specific, this is what I'm going to do different than what I've been doing, then what are they going to hold you accountable to? See, in our modern crazy culture, we, we, we say, well, I want you to be my accountability partner. I'm going to text you every week. 
And that's what we call accountability. Somebody texts us every week. How you doing? Good. Boy, I'm accountable. No, you're not. You're deceived. You're not accountable. You're deceived. You're not accountable unless there's a plan of change that you have agreed to implement in your life and you have given somebody else permission to hold you to the standard that you wrote. See, when, when, I, when, when people want you to hold them accountable, if they're not willing to write a plan, you can't hold them accountable. I can't hold you accountable to my standard. you got to hold yourself accountable to your standard. I can help you do that. I can help you hold yourself accountable to God's standard. But if you don't write it down, there's no real accountability. And they can text you once a week or call you once a month. and Nothing will change. But if you create a process of change, here's the things I'm going to do different. All of a sudden, you know what will happen? You invite somebody in and give them authority to hold you accountable to that. All of a sudden, things begin to change. And the last thing is we have to consistently hear truth. We have to consistently hear truth. Why? Because we deceive ourselves. We got to consistently hear truth, right? Coming to church, small groups, reading your Bible every day, surrounding yourself with godly people that love you enough to tell you the truth even when it hurts. We need that. We need, we need that, guys. We need that in our lives. I've got to have consistent truth because every day, if I'm not careful, I will, I will deceive myself. How many times have we done this? We start on a process, a path of change, and we get one month down the road, and we say something really spiritual like this. I got this. I got this. I don't need to go to church every Sunday. I don't need to read my Bible every day. I don't need that small group. I don't need to celebrate recovery. I got this. I mean, look at me. I done did good 30 days. Look what I did for 30 days. I'm amazing. No, you're not amazing. You're deceived. And if you don't have consistent truth coming into your life, you'll get 30 days down the road, and you'll think you've changed when you hadn't changed nothing. Nothing's really changed, right? Because if in a moment you can go back to what you used to do, you didn't change. So I need, I got to have consistent truth. Kelly, I don't know how many months ago, began praying this new little prayer in her daily life. She prays it a lot. Every time, she says, every time she gets hit in her mind with a thought that she's no not, that she knows is not a God thought. I mean, no, have you ever, ever been, you ever been staggered by those thoughts that hit in your own mind? She says, every time that happens, now this is what she's been doing. She said, every time that happens, she says, I, I pray this little prayer. Holy Spirit, speak truth to me. Holy Spirit, speak truth to me. Why? Because we will deceive ourselves. So what's the wise thing to do? Turn our lives over to the care of God. Implement a process of change. Invite other people in and consistently hear truth. I want you just to bow your heads for a moment today. Maybe you're here this morning and today you have never truly committed your life to the care of God. You've never been saved. That's what we call it. The Bible calls it being saved, being born again. But it just simply means that you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, that He would really do two things, that He would forgive you of your past sin, and then that He would lead you into the future, the hope that He has for you, and that He would be the Lord of your life. 
And I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Keith, I've never done that. I want to do that today. I'm going to ask you just a second to stand to your feet. Well, Pastor Keith, why do I got to do that? Because your decision matters. It matters. Well, I'm afraid. Well, you should be. You should be. This is a life and death decision. We're not talking about are you going to go to church for the rest of your life. We're talking about are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell. We're not talking about a temporal decision. We're talking about an eternal decision that's going to impact your forever life. And you're going to live forever somewhere, either in the bliss and wonder of heaven or in the torment and pain of hell. And that is 100% based on one thing, and that is your decision to entrust your life to the care of God and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father and His angels. So today, this is a real thing. This is a serious thing. But I want to tell you something. God loves you like nobody else loves you. And you're not in a church today because you're completely happy. You came in here today looking for something because you knew something had to change. I want to tell you what has to change. Whoever's Lord of your life has to change. You can no longer be Lord of your own life. Jesus has to be Lord of your life. And if you're willing to trust Him today as your Lord and Savior and say, God, I want to commit the care of my life to your hands. I want to ask you to forgive me of my past. Lead me into the future and the hope that you have for me. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. If that's you, I want you to stand right now. Just stand up all over this building right now. People are standing. As you stand, our ushers are going to bring you something. We're going to give you some information put in your hand, but I want you to remain standing right now. People are standing right now. I've, I've never really trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to do that today. Just remain standing. This is your moment, guys. This is real. This is real. Heaven and hell, life or death, blessing or cursing. This is what it's all about. We're not playing games here. This is not religious religious games. This is not about little, little petty stuff that we do at church. This is about your eternal destination. And if you've never trusted your heart and your life to the care of God, then today is the day to do that and make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm going I'm to count from three down to one, and I'm going to pray with these that have stood. If you want to pray, if you want to make this decision, I want you to stand right now. I'm going to count three, two, one. This is your moment. For every person that's praying and every, everybody else in this room, let's just bow our heads. Let's pray this prayer together out loud. Every person that's standing, I'm sorry. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Let's say it out loud, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you. And I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your love, and your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord, come on. Let's give the Lord a great round of applause today. Amen.